0: Hey guys, I'm Christina Yerling biro and this is Pop Culture Confidential. Thank you so much for joining me. This week I have a very special show, an interview with director Jay Roach about what I believe will be and should be one of the most talked about movies of the season, Bombshell. The movie, based on a screenplay by Charles Randolph, tells the explosive story about the sexual harassment allegations leveled against former Fox News chief Roger Ailes. In our conversation, Jay Roach and I talked about all the difficult and important issues that this story has brought up, about the incredible impact that making Bombshell had on him personally, the shocking abuses of power and toxic environment at Fox News. We talk about how he and producer Charlize Theron discussed her portrayal of Fox anchor Megan Kelly, who Theron has said presented quite an internal challenge for her to play at first. We talked about the actor's incredible transformations and the political impact of the story, both during and after the firing of Roger Ailes, who later went on to advise Donald Trump's presidential campaign before his death in 2017. Along with Charlize Theron as Megan Kelly, Nicole Kidman plays Gretchen Carlson, the Fox News anchor who was not the first to accuse Ailes, but her lawsuit in time brought forth many other sexual harassment allegations that would finally lead to his firing. Margot Robbie plays a composite character of many of the women interviewed for the film who were victims of sexual harassment. John Lithgow plays Roger Ailes. You have to adopt the mentality of an Irish street cop. The world is a bad place. People are lazy morons.
1: Minorities are criminals. Sex is sick but interesting. Ask yourself what would scare
0: my grandmother or piss off my grandfather. And that's a Fox story. Oh, it makes so much sense. Women are everywhere. We're letting them play golf and tennis now. HR's on the phone because you called me a skirt. Yeah, I gotta read that manual again. (laughs) The attitude off camera was even worse. You're a man-hater. Learn to get along with the boys. You're sexy, but you're too much work. I have a whole list. Will other women come forward?
1: You may have heard there was a dust-up involving yours truly and presidential contender
0: Donald Trump. There was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. Oh, my
1: god. Did he just accuse me of anger menstruating? Wait, am I going to be the story? No, No. I'm going to be the story. No. No. Nobody stops watching because of a conflict. They stop watching when there isn't one.
0: I want to convince you that I belong on air, Mr. Ailes. I think I'd be freaking phenomenal on your network.
1: I could pluck you out and move you to the front of the line, but I need to know that you're loyal. I need you to find a way to prove it. I'm
0: the bad guy. You know why Roger's got that door blocking his office? Someone has to speak up. Someone has to get mad.
1: Fox News star Gretchen Carlson dropped a major bombshell today. What
0: is she doing? This could kill Fox News.
1: We need everyone on Team Roger. Get it on. Put it on. These are the end times. You do understand I have to be above this, right? You know the entire country is talking about your period right now.
0: So you. Sweetheart, this is an island of safety and truth. There's a man! Ready to go to war? Oh yeah. Jay Roach is a four-time Emmy-winning director whose career spans many genres. He directed comedies such as the Austin Powers movies and Meet the Fockers with Robert De Niro. He also produced Borat. He's behind the political HBO dramas Recount and Game Change, and in 2015 he directed Brian Cranston to an Oscar nomination in Trumbo. Jay Roach, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Uh, I'm really glad to talk to you. Thanks for the interest.
0: So preparing for our talk today, I started seeing a through line in your career, and that's your approach to power, <laughs> um, how you unmask the powerful to show the absurdities from the real politicians and events in your films like recount and the blacklisted Trumbo and what they had to deal with to your comedies. I mean, Borat, talk about the absurdities that he brings to light and even a character like Dr. Evil. <laughs> Has the absurdities of power been a fascination for you? And how does Bombshell fit into this?
1: That's a really interesting um, lens on it. I, I haven't thought of it specifically like that, but as I as as I hear you go through some of those films, I I'm I'm certain some of that is definitely a, a running theme. I, I I think it's a lot of it is. Um, I was raised in a conservative household and, um, my father was a defense industry worker, um, in the late fifties, sixties and seventies and, you know, into the eighties as well. And so, um, he, uh, he and I, you know, was, I had a great childhood and I was a, a working class kind of, uh, he was a draftsman. He was, he, was, he wasn't a, an engineer at that time or anything, but we grew up in a, in Albuquerque, New Mexico is sort of a, a conservative place. And I, at some point in my early teens, I started arguing with him quite a bit about politics. And, um, my mom is, is a very soft and wise and amazing, sweet person, you know, who is just brilliant. You know, I like a really brilliant person, but sort of, um, was, I felt always in my youth a little bit suppressed, you know, by, uh, and I think I was trying to think about this the other day, why these themes, these ideas, especially in this recent film mattered so much because there, there is a kind of approach to life that my dad embraced, which was all about uh, protecting like security and, and to some extent sometimes pushed even into paranoia. (laughs) And my mom, my mom was so much the opposite. was open and friendly and, and I, I just, I always gravitated to my mom's (laughs) worldview. And and so it goes back that it's that basic that, that that there's a kind of fear-based, um, uh, I don't know, power oriented thing. When if you, if you, if you are driven by fear, then you need power to, to protect yourself, you know? And, um, and if I think I've always Dr. Evil was a sort of it's a funny that you bring up <laughs> Austin Powers movies because Dr. Evil was a very exaggerated form of that, and even the look of the movie was designed to you know to uh, to to heighten and and reinforce the theme that he represented sort of fear and and need for world domination to uh, to uh to protect against this new idea of free love and and whatever threats to that his, his his idea of power.
0: Right. And even I understand that is there any truth to that Robert De Niro and Meet the Fox was sort of a a loving recreation of your father? He was the spy.
1: <laughs> very much so. The the you know and and I listen I, I my dad's still alive and I love him very much and we still um argue about politics, you know, but but he there was a certain um professional paranoia that that my dad had that went into um De Niro's character and also the secrecy uh, aspect you know everything had to be secret around our house he had a top secret clearance so he was always worried that somehow we would be surveilled you know way before way before the Koreans and the and the Russians uh, got so good at it and the Chinese I guess too so he um yeah i i tried to let de Niro's character sort of reflect that and the other thing I loved about it from a comedic standpoint is that de Niro's character as great as a spy and human lie detector as he's supposed to be he's almost always wrong (laughs) (laughs) and so uh I you know I it's 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 funny you tagged all that and I I was I I didn't mean to take it just now in that competition I suddenly just occurred to me that I've it, it's the the roots of this go way back. It's so
0: interesting. Yeah, because I was, there there was like a through line when, you know, when, you, when you're when you researching something, it's maybe easier to see than, than you when mm. you're looking back. Has your father, did he, what did he say about the De Niro character?
1: Oh, he thought it was, he thought it was funny. My my favorite thing that he liked about it was when, my, when I was young, my dad um, took us hunting quite a bit and he would use these kind of military gestures, you know, when you're stalking around silently and you can't speak out loud, you use these, hand signals to each other uh-huh. and that signal that De Niro uses I'm watching you you know when he put, points two fingers to his eyes and then points at you <laughs> that came from my dad who used to uh, whenever we were misbehaving out while we were hunting you know he would just do I'm watching you <laughs> and uh, I so my dad was of course flattered that I uh, you know uh, extracted some of his personal eccentricities and put them into the De Niro character
0: and I seem to hear you saying that you guys can really discuss politics, because as opposed to sort of the general zeitgeist now, discussion maybe is not what we're doing, more yeah. throwing blame and things. So that's interesting. We
1: do. And, you know, it is, there are interesting family reunions, you know, Thanksgiving and yeah. holidays are always uh, interesting times, because a lot of my family are conservative and a lot of them aren't. And I, I grew up where there were heated, heated arguments about politics in our household. And, and that was always actually, I was I look back. I think at the time it made me nervous, and uh, there is a kind of anxiety dream uh, theme to my political films too. So, you know, but it, but it. Looking back, I'm grateful that I lived in a household with so such a diverse range of political opinions, and and uh, you know, for a sort of WASPy, you know, post depression. Texas, my family was all from Texas. There was, you know, the, the stereotype of that is that people don't share their opinions. and don't talk that much about it, but we, wow, there were some very heated, you know, arguments all the time. And I still, I still do, um, you know, have really tough, uh, t- interesting conversations with my dad. The, I, I will say at, at 82, he and I finally, at his age, 82, he and I finally have something in common because he, is so interested in defense, and, and he actually got involved later in his life in training people for the CIA and the FBI to defend uh, nuclear facilities. Um, he has, he and I now agree on the, the problem with Donald Trump's attacks on, on a, mm-hmm. our security apparatus. So uh, at least we have, at least we finally can get along on something.
0: Now, does he watch Fox News?
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty pretty um, religiously, I would say, pretty, you know, it's on, it's, there's a Margot Robbie's character talks about how in her family, uh, the TVs all had the, the Fox logo burned into them and, until the, they started making them spend to save the TVs, you know, and that was definitely my family. All right. So yeah, and that's, you know, that's partly why I wanted to make the film. Uh, I think there, there sh- obviously should be something we all have in common that has nothing to do with our politics. It's just, people should be safe at work. You know, it shouldn't be that you are preyed on and required to do some sort of sexual favors as a sign of loyalty, as we as we portray Ailes demanding. And I thought women in my family, women, you know, elsewhere who might not readily uh, view a film that's about, you know, what would be seen as progressive women's rights politics would pay attention if they were it involved women who had been at Fox and even their sort of favorite hosts of shows like Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not, it is, it is remarkable that those, those women took Roger Ailes on a year before the Harvey, uh, Me Too explosion, you know, broke. Um, so and it, it has actually it has already um, been parts of conversations around my house <laughs> when I go visit them uh, because it's um, I showed them some early cuts of it. My mom especially was really moved by it, you know. And I I think she would have been otherwise too, but she you know because it was at Fox, she was more interested in talking about the issues.
0: Well, tell me about how you see these power dynamics as they work in the in Fox News that you that I read that you called a cult.
1: Well, I, I and I don't mean cult, I, I, there's a very specific aspect of it that's called. I don't think Fox News generally is a cult. I think Roger Ailes' thing was cult, culty. You know, there was a there's also an aspect of Roger's, uh, Roger Roger Ailes's work and accomplishments at that at that corporation that are. Pretty amazing, and how he built it up and became this very, very powerful force. Um, and some of that was just pure media savvy, and some of it actually also was his own personal charisma. I talked to many people on the on the left too, not just the right, who found Roger to be extremely funny, smart. Who's a great political consultant for many presidential candidates, as we point out through the story. But there was one aspect of it that, to me, does feel like a pattern of a kind of cult like. Setup, which was this, this male, uh, entitled ego driven, somewhat narcissistic, um, central figure who required people to perpetually show him loyalty and felt entitled to that and, and earned it to some extent because he would help them. And he, I mean, he, he earned their respect or earned some of just the actual loyalty, but then on top of that sense of entitlement, he also started to be, feel entitled to mistreat people and have them just put up with it. And as we show painfully, felt entitled to women's affection and women's sexual favors. And when they, when they dared reject him or, um, you, you know, God forbid talk, from his mind, talk about it, then, then the, the amount of punishment and and pitting women against each other retribution uh, smearing their characters um, you know uh, getting other loyal allies to team up and attack that person um, as this all happened everything I'm describing happened to Gretchen Carlson who's who started our you know started the story in our in our situation uh, in bombshell so that felt that feels like not just a cult but a very male, ego driven cult you know uh, and that's 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 a specific thing that i'm talking about not i don't mean just generally fox news is a cult
0: no and interestingly about roger Ailes that used to show in the movie that he seems to have been a real conspiracy theorist it's interesting how Absolutely. paranoid some of these evil people really can be
1: <laughs> well and again you see this it's it reflects on my my concern about that view of the world, how much it becomes a closed off, threatened, you know, one of the, the sort of a, um, kill or be killed, uh, you know, when it all costs um, mentality. Uh, I, I When I started doing one, when I first got a chance to do these slightly more serious films and recount. Um, one of the people we learned a, a great deal about was Roger Stone. Well, Roger Stone is a dirty trickster political, you know, operative from, from the Nixon era, literally all. And as
0: well, he I, got I think, his uh, this week,
1: he got his this week. He was, he was convicted of seven felonies. Uh, and I, I, someone, I forget which commentator, I think it might've been, it was Jeffrey Tubin called him the, the, the sort of evil, uh, Forrest Gump of our, our political history, as in he, uh, you know, he, his dirty tricks. Turned
0: up everywhere. All, all,
1: all, everywhere all, and all through the political landscape and, and sort of. So that in and in the recount situation in 2000, the, he and another guy, Brad Blakeman, who we portrayed as being somewhat responsible for shutting down the hand counts of the votes between, you know, Gore and Bush in the final recount. They were upset. Roger Stone was upset with us. We did have a line in there uh, where, where, um, uh, Jim Baker says, get me Roger Stone. That became the title of the documentary about Roger Stone. But we didn't give him enough credit for tearing down that recount, he said. And he was upset. And we we all said, why do are, why are you want more credit for doing something <laughs> clearly illegal? And I said, because we won. And ever since that that film, I, you know, that, that sort of sense of when it all costs you, even in my comedy, my one political comedy, full-on comedy, The Campaign... Uh, with Will Farrell and Zach Galifianakis, that whole ethic of "when it all costs, we don't." Care. It's power above all. It doesn't it's not it's it's a fake patriotism. It's a it's a it's a it's this whole theme you and I have just been talking about. This idea of we must we must have power to protect against some some sense of sacred identity, but really it's ego. It's protect your ego, you know, and that's. That is such a, that's an important theme to me.
0: And it's so interesting how you weave this story um, that, that really is, it's the rise of Donald Trump that's going through this entire story of in your film. So, but we'll get back to that. I want, I would talk to you about the, um, screenwriter Charles Randolph and yourself, you spoke to many, many women, I understand about this case, many who couldn't speak to you on the record because they've written such strong non-disclosure agreements. Um, what were some of the things that, That they told you that 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 shocked you more than you realized.
1: Well, the the um, the feeling that there were a few really interesting facts that came out in that discussion, which we put right into the script, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But the the most important thing was what it felt like. You know, we had obviously read many articles, seen tons of video and, and, uh, the, all the books, Megan Kelly wrote a book about her experience. There were, there were lots of resources, great reporting by Gabe Sherman and Sarah Ellison, but we hadn't, I don't know. It just, it's tough to really fully get what those women went through and how lonely, it was to come out, especially for Gretchen Carlson. Rudy, back to our story—the woman whose voice you, you know, her inner thoughts you hear while she's being harassed early in the movie—the feeling that you get, in and we didn't—we're we not saying who we talked to, but we we talked to a lot of people who either were directly involved or were quite aware of the women who were involved. The 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 what you would get from these first-person stories or or you know, one to move stories were. That the, this humiliation, this this dehumanization, or or the, the the kind of horror film creepiness of what you see with Margot Robbie and Roger Ailes in that one, you know, just um, really upsetting scene in our film, that came from from hearing it described in a in a more heartfelt way than you would sometimes get from the media it was it was a deeper understanding a deeper empathy and when we started trying to make the film and I started talking to the actors about it um that they they pulled that into their own interpretations of the of their own performances I feel and that one scene is a great example of that when Margot is is uh experiencing what some might think on a, on a, in a distant account of that, just a verbal account, it might not seem like so horrible of a, of a, of a moment, but when you, when, when you come up to Margot's face after she's been asked to lift her skirt, you know, um, that's what I, that's what I feel like I got the most of. And I didn't, I thought I, I'm a, you know, I'm a feminist. I I strongly believe in, and uh, women's rights and, and female empowerment and everything related to the women's movement. But I, And so I thought I knew, I thought I was a sensitive male who could understand what that might be like. And I, my understanding went so much deeper as I watched Margot do that, as I've talked to many, many people, both in the research phase, but also we had many women come up to us after we screened the film a lot in post-production, just to, to get reactions and talk about it. And I always have long conversations with big groups of people after the film is shown. And we, you know, what we gathered from all of that, uh, discussion was, yeah, just it it surprised me how, how much worse it is than you can possibly imagine as a man. And that, uh, that was, that was important. And the, 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 the fact thing that we, the one great ad that we got out of out of the story was that we had in the script, Charles had written that the Murdochs themselves had helped Megan gather the names of women who could might who might come forward with stories about Roger during the the uh, outside investigation after Gretchen sues. <clears throat> and we that turned out to not be the case. The, the Murdochs didn't just gather the names from like the human resources complaints or whatever. The names were actually collected by um, Uh, A woman who worked in the weather department and the weather lady, you know, and we were able to we found that out right as we were about to shoot that scene where Megan comes and says, I have a list. I got a list. And they say, where did you where did you get these names? And she said, the weather lady, The you know, everyone confides in her. Nobody in weather wants your job. And that. That moment came from from talking to multiple people who had heard this the story of the weather Lady and then and it ended up, and she was working at Fox, so we couldn't reveal which weather lady she was still there when we were shooting, but then she wrote a book uh, and 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 uh, released that during post-production uh, called whose her name is Janice Dean, and the book is um, mostly sunny, I think is the title of it and uh, she so we were able to in post-production to Put her name in using oh, wow. um, off-camera dialogue. You should. You know, the makeup lady says you should go see the weather lady. You should go see Janice and Weather. And so we got to credit her for doing this incredibly, um, you know, somewhat risky thing at the time. You no, know, women weren't. This was a year before Harvey again. And so these yeah, women. Yeah, the bravery
0: were all, is incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I after, you know, with this movie, with, um, you know, the New York Times reporting and Catch and Kill. And I mean, it, it's not yeah. I'm I, it's just this overwhelming feeling of it that this isn't i mean this is really scary stuff i mean and the thing about the thing about i think that works so well in your movie is that this is not about the sex for the women it, it, it's about the work and it's such a heartbreaking abuse of power yes. and I, I i thought a lot which i Absolutely haven't right i haven't thought so much about this before until i watched this is that it's really the same language that you would use in um in sort of a domestic abuse that horrible question why didn't you just mm. leave him um i mean yes. megan kelly says it herself you know i liked him it's it's a complex issue uh, of, of getting into the net and then suddenly being abused there. And I thought yeah. that was very, very well portrayed.
1: Uh, well, that's you know that's that's just really good writing by Charles. I have to credit him for he had this idea of having three women at very different um, phases in the in the way they're facing the power situation. You're absolutely right. It's so little about sex. Uh, it's much more about power and control and, and, uh, sort of both stripping the women of their rights, but also then trying to puppeteer them or, or, you know, make them conform to his, his plans, you know, whatever they are. Uh, And some of them are very creepy plans, but the, but Charles had this idea of having three different women at very different phases, very different levels of access to, 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 allies are tools to help in the battle for their survival. You know, mm-hmm. very different class distinction. Um, Megyn Kelly is the star, and we start with the Trump thing. As you say, there's an, such a singularity and overlap of Trump's rise to power and this this exposure of this abuse of power by, by Roger Ailes, who's, you know, I, not ironically, but is also boosting Donald Trump, another person whose ego drives this this misogyny, you know, and the sense of entitlement. So Megan has power in that she's a rising star and she was abused 10 years. She was harassed 10 years earlier, but she found a way to break free enough and then still uh, benefit from Rogers promoting her to time after time. Every time she would take a break to have kids or something, she'd come back and have a bigger job. So she did have a very complicated... Relationship with him, which is partly why it took her a while to to speak up as we portray in the film. Gretchen Carlson sues, and she writes she write a you know within a certain amount of time, within a couple of weeks, as we show towards the end of the film, gets her settlement because she has great lawyers. Margot's character is a young woman who's a composite character, a fictional character based on multiple stories, but there were young women still being harassed by Roger very late in his in his career. When he was an older man, and she has no power. She is she has, she has no access to fancy lawyers. She's not a rising star. She doesn't even. She's not even on air yet. You know. But she really desperately wants to get on air. And so that was Charles's. Um, Charles's, I think, just uh, wisdom and just great screenwriting and 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 uh, and having such. And and they're relatively. You know, it starts with Megan, but then. Gretchen becomes a port, and then towards the end of the story, uh, Margot's character becomes, uh, Kayla becomes a port. So it was a really well-crafted script from the get-go.
0: And and the actors, these three women that play, they're absolutely incredible. Um, For many liberal viewers of the film, there's going to be a bit of a hump to sort of get over yeah. considering um the organization that represent even racist comments that 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 you know megan has made um and just the message of, of that fox news spreads in general especially yeah. these past few you know how our feelings are how did you and miss um their talk about this uh, as she was also producer of the movie how you would sort of attack this
1: well it's a very good question and it's something we thought about a lot and even as we were you know making the film uh um, Megan's Megan was f- fired, you know, right in the middle of our shoot uh, by NBC over the those racially insensitive comments she made about blackface.
0: And of course, I just want to say that just because any any issues that you have or anything you work, it doesn't, uh, you know, harassment shouldn't be part of any job description. So, and that's
1: exactly what that's a, I know, and I, I yes, and you're very it's very good of you to point that out and that because that's what what I said to Charlize, who was hesitant um uh, about about taking her on at first and i my point was i mean one what's what's been really interesting is hearing ronan farrell ronan farrell's book coming out has been such an interesting timing thing not just because the subject of ndas and forced arbitration and uh letting women out of their ndas now at nbc gretchen carlson's gotten trying to get fox to let her out of her NDA, all that you know, we didn't know that was all going to come out at this time. But one of the things that came out in Ronan's book, uh, which I read is a fantastic book, and it's, it's so suspenseful, and is that um, one of the things I found out was that, you know, Megan Kelly had been fired partly because of the, the comments she made about blackface, but also because she had dared accuse NBC of suppressing his story, and also of, of uh, under- under what's the right word? Just minimizing the Matt Lauer abuse, right? So it was all. It, this is what happens when you make films about people who are in the middle of their, you know, what's going on right now. Uh, and we had we were constantly talking about how to to certainly acknowledge Megan's um, approach to her commentaries on, you know, that she that she is a provocateur that she very much seemed to be. Sometimes throwing red meat at this very, um, you know, right wing base that, that are Fox viewers. But other times she was obviously, you know, taking on issues that when she took on Donald Trump uh, in the primaries and acute, you know, reminded the world of how many horrible things he'd said about women publicly and and he laughed it off. Yeah. And, and then to her that whole next week and and weeks for months later, just saying those horrible things about, about Megan, you realize that she, she's a person, you know, she's, she's complicated and she's just like we all are. And she's, She's uh, she did this amazing thing in this one year window. And then she was also didn't come forward right away after Gretchen sued. She did. She had been harassed and sat on that for two weeks. Gretchen's alone at home and is wondering if anyone is going to anyone who's still there at Fox is going to speak up for her. And in the opposite, women were teaming up to help smear her and, and imply that she was lying. And Megan took a few, couple weeks. So we we're we are trying to show the full range. And that's what, that's what attracted Charlize to it is she, she obviously has, has had a great career playing very complicated characters. And it's one of, she she's conflicted about herself and in, in a really interesting way, you know, and she talks about that a lot um, this fall. She's been talking about that, about how she felt she actually had a lot in common with Megan in, in how, you know, how she tries to to go through life and cope through things, but also how she's misjudged for her ambition, her her sharp elbows, as they call it when women do it. You know, when men do it, it's like, oh, look how badass that guy. When women do it, it's like, oh, she has sharp elbows. We heard that about Megan all through our research. Oh, like, yeah, that's being punished weird.
0: for your ambition is something one <laughs> is used to. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. So, and listen, I... I always I'm not I don't I barely what's the right word I'm I'm a man I don't I'm just you know relaying a story I have I don't pretend in any way to understand how it feels I just do the best I can to listen I had great women collaborators these incredible actors and uh, and, and these these people willing to speak to us but whenever I hear myself talking about how this went down I realize I'm not it's not, it's not, it's not comfortable mansplaining any of this because you, you know, I just, I'm just relaying the story. And that's, that was, that's another issue that we, Dealt with when we were talking about this. How am I, as a man, uh, going to tell this story? And it was uh, it was a big source of discussion the entire process.
0: Well, I mean that most of us know that that men, uh, most men, don't want women to feel unsafe at work. I mean,
1: I, I would hope so. You know, I, I'm I I certainly want that to be part of the discussion is, are we allies enough? You know, are we helping enough? There's a character in the story, Gil played by the great Rob Delaney, such an amazing actor too. And a very funny, I mean, I, uh, you know, these are very dark, dark issues, but many of the people in our film are portrayed by people that are known as comedians, you know, or, or play. And that helps make his character in particular a little more complicated because he is a complicit male he's a he's a man in a company where sexual abuse is, seems to be fairly rampant and he's kind of advising Megan Kelly to yes speak up but did you know is Gretchen really uh, is she really can we really believe what happened to her um why didn't she just report this earlier why did she wait till she got fired to sue you know he, he's asking all of these Raising all these doubts, as men often do, even good men, do this. Uh, we are because we haven't experienced it ourselves. When you hear uh, a, a story, I think a lot of men default to, hmm, I wonder why she's reporting it that way, and I wonder what role she had in this, and I wonder who, you know, whose fault this really was as opposed to the instant default that I think women often revert to is giving another woman the benefit of the doubt. At least I mean, not all women do that, but most do uh, give the, the accuser, the person who's raising this, uh, this you know, telling the, their story. She had to come through so much of a, a kind of gauntlet of, of, of doubt anyway, and people questioning her, and she knows what she's up against. And I think that's something men, we can do better. We can be better at at, um, giving women the benefit of the doubt first as a default, instead of, hmm, I wonder what's going on behind that story, you know? And I just think that's a, that's a way that I hope gets talked about, you know, and G- Gil's character is, is, a, to me, a cautionary tale of what that, what that kind of cowardice, to be honest, it's a kind of cowardice we all, and I'm, I include myself, I'm in an industry where, evidently this goes on a lot more than any of us are paying attention to, you know, and it's, we can, uh, you know, we can just be a bit, a, a little more of a part of the solution if we are a little braver about, you know, speaking up for women and also believing them when they first come out and, and getting involved, you know, I think that's, I think that's what I, I hope that the film is part of that conversation
0: you've worked with a few um, men who after working with them have there's been allegations yeah. um, Kevin Spacey for example um, Louis C.K. and and I'm what you've said um, afterwards is that you had no idea you, you, you didn't see any bad after working on this movie and, and saying what you're saying now do you see anything in hindsight uh, about this or how are your feelings today?
1: You know I, I don't I I I don't have um, I don't have a new awareness of their behavior. And I definitely didn't know anything about uh, Louis C.K.'s situation. I've talked to people in the comedy world, more the stand up world, who knew he was on my set as an actor with Brian Cranston and, um, you know, uh, Diane Lane and a lot of I don't there was I don't know if there was any uh, opportunity, you know, for for that, for him to, to to be to be talked about by comedians around that time. And, but I, I, certainly wasn't aware even of the history of it, but I, you know, it makes me wonder what I've been missing. You know, I, I worked with a number of these guys that, uh, yeah, have been accused and I, I feel a little, um, I don't know, like I, like, I think there might be a kind of blind spot thing again. That's also part of that, that unintentional complicity that you're not, you're just not paying attention to it enough. I don't know if I, if I could, have I don't know what I would have had to do to find out about that behavior. Um, but I didn't know about it. And even that's makes me nervous. You know, that I, that I, I, I there was one event that happened, um, on one of my films where I heard months later that a, one of our one of our staff, our AD staff, you know, had been uh, trying to hit on a a young woman PA, you know, and, uh, and I was like, why, how did I not find out about that? And, um, you know, she, she, the behavior was reported up through the DGA. I don't actually um, know what the final resolution was, but it was, It's that kind of thing, and and nowadays, if that happened, I think all of us would be a lot more aggressive in tracking that down. What happened? Who who's you know, and making sure that it that everyone was safe. We we started our film, you know, and again, it was we were so sensitized to it because we had to be. So it wasn't some incredible, uh, you know, um, what's the right word? Sort of. Nobility and doing it. we but we had we had uh, sexual harassment uh, people come and talk to our whole crew in the mm-hmm. beginning of this process. and um, it was a very even that was you know, wow, we're we're just now doing this at this level. We'd always had the talks, but they were kind of the lawyerly version of just kind of ass covering. Uh, you know, hey, we've done our due diligence and and warning you about you know, how to treat people. But it was, it never felt like it was truly inspirational. So we had a woman come in who was really an expert in the field. And it was not just uh, helpful in terms of knowing, you know, where some of you, especially for men, where some of our blind spots might be, but it was also just inspirational. Like, let's just be better to each other as human beings. What, you know, and that, 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 that you, you know that that didn't hadn't started on our films earlier. You know was was. Um... I, I
0: was talking to Susanna Grant I, recently. I did an interview around the series Unbelievable, um, and she was you know talking about how, you know, sort of asking the same questions of how you know, as a director, how you change, how you see your set today after all this, how you think. And she was saying that one of the things they did was that afterwards they heard that even on their Production. There had been a few incidents where someone had felt uncomfortable. Mm. So what they did was they did interviews with these people, actually asking the question, "Why didn't you tell us?"
1: Mm. Wow. So
0: that so that the so that they could learn. What, why that openness, what was the, yeah. who was afraid of who, how could they create sort of a through line of, of fear? Because, and the, I mean, the simple answer is probably, I don't want to lose my job, but that the feeling that yeah. you won't lose your job would permeate. Anyway.
1: I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I, that's a really great idea. People should try to figure out what, what was, what mechanism, or what's the right word? What, what sort of structures were in place that made you not feel safe or what, what structures weren't in place, you know? And. That's one of the things that I think even Gretchen Carlson's been doing incredible work since this all happened, on, for example, uh, trying to do away with get get Congress and and state governments to do away with forced arbitration and forced NDAs as a sort of, I'd say that's sort of a basic step that almost all corporations because
0: yeah, she couldn't talk to she still can't tell her she story could, she still
1: can't talk to us she can't she did she's reluctant to watch the film she as far as i know she hasn't seen it because she wants to be able to comment on it and i was like that is just heartbreaking that especially what she went through i mean what she did was a, an incredible thing again just to remember that there weren't there weren't structures in place for her to to report, and this we deal with this in the film. To re, to just speak out and feel safe, just in the reporting. Forget that she'd been unsafe in Roger Ailes's presence. She also now couldn't feel at all safe in how she reported it. And she, because you know the Me Too thing had not occurred, the big Me you know Tarana Burke started the Me Too movement years ago, but it hadn't really blown. It didn't really blow up until the Harvey Weinstein thing. The news broke so on the Harvey thing, and so that um, that that she took on one of the most powerful titans in in corporate world not just media uh and did it alone and had to sit there wondering why why her colleagues weren't supporting her that i mean the the courage you know just so she's been i think her work in trying you know to she not only went through all that she couldn't tell any other she couldn't warn other women about it after that really and that's That's a great example of not easy change, but important change that's not that it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to accomplish. And she's she's had trouble getting Congress to to there's been some bipartisan support on this uh, forced arbitration thing. And it looks like, you know, with all these conversations with NBC, letting those accusers out of it with maybe Fox will let her out. It's right at the surface of what's going on. And I really credit Gretchen for uh you know for 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 being a huge part of not just yeah for 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 she because the, her the reporting on what happened with her and then megan stepping in and all that was a big contributing factor to some of the to uh, more and more women speaking out again it, it 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 exploded a lot later but the bravery that she uh, exemplified is is and that those institutions you're talking about that um that aren't in place you know that Susanna Grant is talking about.
0: Would you be uh, resistant? to, I mean, to working with someone who's who's had allegations against them? Do you think about that more today as a director?
1: Definitely, I'm. I I very uh, much would question. You know, and we've you know we've had a lot of talks about that. Um, because again, I think listen, it's going to be awkward for men who 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 have to you know men, men there there's this kind of me too backlash like and they even have a verb for what happens to some men they've been me tooed right so that um that is that is so unfortunate uh, when you think of the the bit of of potential you know injustice i suppose that some men might be worried about that they could be falsely accused the the level of that is compared to the centuries long uh smears and character assassinations and far far worse that have happened to women you know it's just um, yeah we're gonna have to deal with some awkward stuff get get over that you know because it's the long-term benefit or, or taking away the long-term damage that have happened have happened has happened to women and will continue to happen unless you know people get serious about requiring men to behave, with respect towards women, it, that it's, it's worth it. It just, to me, it feels worth it. I, you know, who, I, it's easy for me to say I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not in their situation, but I, um, I feel, it feels like I would definitely raise questions of, because I do want to default to the, to believing the accusers and to, and yes, investigate, do whatever is required, but as, at least as a first step, benefit of the doubt for the women who've dared to come forward against all, all the um, attacks you'll face doing that.
0: Um, I have to ask you about the look of the Fox women um, and in your mirror, not not unlike the fembots in in Austin Powers. Yeah. Say that. Um, how 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 did this sort of look become to be and and how did it permeate the way women are seen and treated throughout the companies? You know?
1: That was a big part of how I spoke to Charlize about it when I first came on and also to the, the Annapurna execs. Um, you know, we we were at Annapurna and then later um, when Annapurna pulled out for some reasons that we could talk about for a long time, uh, the Braun Studios and Lionsgate came in and I, I spoke to all of the different execs about this and and then to the great Colleen Atwood who was our our costume designer in our film and to the actors involved that I very much believed Roger saw in a kind of dark genius way uh, that you could sell news, um, using a kind of old fashioned entertainment thing of just, you know, cast, cast beautiful women and then have them conform to a Fox look. Um, that was, uh, you know, Rogers male gaze using that feminist term, like his, his, his um what he considered an attractive woman who was attractive enough to be on screen and sell his news um, it worked you know and he, and he, he we our our uh, working title code name for our production when we started was lucite desk he was you know it was very important for, to him to show the legs of the women they had a person who enforced the length of the skirts, not towards don't wear it too short. His was don't wear it too long. The shorter your skirt, the higher the ratings. So it was a very creepy but also effective way to sell something in his mind. And so he he pushed this idea. And he I, I pitched it originally as it's kind of a Rogers dollhouse. Rogers, uh, you know, uh, disturbingly... Um, Effective way of getting people to conform to a look that he could use to sell news, and it was corrupt. Obviously, it corrupted news. You know, in my mind, it that, that whatever, you know, there there there's a lot of good reporting on some, but there's a lot of um, kind of selling ideas that you know that that I just find really uh, not constructive in our, <laughs> and and I I think. He, it's part of the idea of being able to sell these ideas with a kind of with a male ego centric worldview at the center of it, getting the women in his in his world to reflect. I don't know. I'm I'm not being very articulate about this, but it was definitely um, my my emphasis was on how that idea of that male gaze and, and, and sort of puppeteering and getting women to conform to his, his visual requirements um, very much infected this organization and became a kind of toxic, in my opinion, a toxic force.
0: And, and, and it was also interesting at some point to say that it was like an army. And, and if everyone's dressed the same, it's easy to, you know, this little soldier sort of switch them out.
1: Yeah. There's a, in the title sequence, um, that's the Regina Spector wrote, uh, an original song called One Little Soldier. And in the, the end title sequence that where we run the credits at the end of the film, there's an animated, um, thing that, that accompanies her song that is all about that. It's women in boxes, women being kind of, um, marched into the Fox building. And, you know, it's, it's also in the elevator scene, you know, where um, the, the women, even the women's voices are somewhat mechanized. You know, um, these, we had three great singers. Uh, Caroline Shaw, the great composer, was one of our singers, Petra Hayden. And then my wife, Susanna Hoffs, is actually her voices in there as well. And Teddy the, Teddy Shapiro, Theodore Shapiro, took the voices and uh, attached them to keys in the, on his keyboard. right, And he oh, would wow. play them the way, in a weird way, you know, in a certain weird comparison to the way Roger would play the women in in his news. And again, I'm over, I'm over applying this metaphor. And these, some of these women found ways to be themselves and be strong and be, uh, be their own personalities on his airwaves. But if you, if you did step out too much from his, from his, um, from his sort of program, you would be not just possibly demoted or, or, um, you know, I don't know, suspended, penalized, whatever you would be attacked by his publicity people from in sideways ways and ways that had nothing to do with what you would just, whatever offense he perceived he was doing. He would, he would have stories leaked about you. Or as we, you know, we talk about this, his sort of black ops way of getting people to conform. Uh, it's, it's it's horrifying. It's so, Listen, I don't I, I may be over applying this, and, but it, did, it felt this way to me. The more stories I read, the more deep we really committed to making it as authentically as we could. And one of the greatest, one of the one of the um, most uh, gratifying thing that's happened since the film came out is a woman named Alison Camerata, who we portray. As, she's the woman on the top of the CNN building who has. Left Fox right before all this happened, and has now got a a, a gig at CNN. And she calls, you know, in a slight, slightly uh heightened reality situation. Megan goes up on the roof of Fox and calls her at, on the roof at CNN. Well, that woman is now, you know, at, at did a you know at CNN. And she she ran Alison Camerata ran our Q and A in New York, and she said it was so close to what to remember that she was. Feeling a kind of PTSD, um, she was harassed by Roger. She she um, conf- sort of confirmed and authenticated this whole idea of what I'm talking about of how Roger uh, required women to conform and, and be, and and he manipulated people this way. So. Uh, you know, I that to me said we got close to what it was really like, um, and and you do the best you can. You never know. We couldn't go back in time, but we we sure tried through all the stories we heard.
0: And I just have to mention, um, not the look of it, but the makeup in general of the actors looking like their counterparts. His name is... Ma-
1: Kazuhiro. He
0: yeah. must be some kind of wizard. Not to be one of your par- oh, paranoid characters, but <laughs> let's hope it doesn't get into the wrong hands. I've never seen anything like the the likeness that he has done with the people in this movie.
1: Especially Roger, and uh, he really transformed uh, John Lithgow into Roger Ailes. and And what he did with Charlize is uncanny. You know, we we had many people admit that they, for a while, thought it was archival footage of Megyn Kelly in the first part of the film. Uh, And then you hear, you actually hear the murmurs and gasps when, you know, as it starts to be clear that it's Charlize, uh, probably around the time she's in the limousine talking on on the phone.
0: But also her voice, what she does.
1: Yeah. And she took her, you know, she changed the register of her voice. She matched that she, you know, she actually practiced so much to get the voice right. She injured her vocal cords, uh, for a a little while. And, uh, during the production, we had to be really careful with that, with that. And she, which was, you know, which was telling given that it's a story about women speaking up women's, women's voices. And it it became a, an interesting source of, um, you know, just conversation that here it is that, you know, it's all about can women speak up and Charlize has heard her voice. Um, and it was, uh, you know, she took it very seriously and, um, she, she, you know, it's always a, an interesting choice. What you're getting at with, you know, it is a little scary, but on the other hand, it's the audience hears that it's a movie derived from a true story. And there is an interesting, um, extra bit of suspense, I think for the audience of how well are we going to be able to pull this off? How, you know, it's, it, it's, the question that comes up in every single uh, Q&A, every single interview is the one you've just asked, how did she do that? And what what were you thinking about what, how far you could go? And it is, it is. I think the audience cares about this. And that, so I, I take it very seriously. And Charlize even took it further than I had planned to. She wanted to be really close in look so that she could then, find all the performance, all the, all the gestures, the voice, the attitude, the body language and, and have it match. As she said, I don't want to uh, look in the mirror and have my voice match her and my face is still my face. I want, I want it to be a different face too. And so Kazuhiro um, worked with her and, and, and I was always there too and just trying different phases of match uh, to that would not only get close to a physical simulation of her, but also allow for, for the facial expressions to come through, allow for, and not be so uncomfortable that she was miserable all day. And like his, uh, he's, he is a wizard. He is, he has some supernatural. He did the Gary Oldman makeup in, uh, in, the uh, darkest hour too. And what he did with both Megan's character and Roger Ailes' character in our film is just, I've never seen anything quite like it. It's, uh, really a a wonder.
0: (laughs) Don't let the Robert De Niro character get a hold of him for any of his part. (laughs) I'm not going to take much of your time, and I hope this is not out of bounds. But I just have to say that I really, really, really am a fan of your wife <laughs> from my old life, uh-huh. and from the Bangles, and from her solo career and, and collaborations. And I was uh-huh. just wondering—I mean, this is a, a an artist and a talent who who must have been in an in in a music industry when when they were coming up yes. as a girls band. I cannot. I don't know anything, but I'm just sort of guessing that this must have been, she must have some stories about how this, it was for her to, you know, show her power and ambition.
1: She does. Um, And her involvement in this project is hard to to, um, measure. It's just been, she's been so important to me in the process. She had so many stories. Some, some of her close friends have had stories. She's close friends with Rosanna Arquette, for example, mm-hmm. who's, whose harrowing experiences are described so excruciatingly in, in both books, really both, the uh, she said the Megan Tuhi and, um, Jody Cantor book, and also in Ronan's new book. Um, you know, so we, we have a lot of friends who've told us a lot of stories and, but my wife's own sort of connection to this to the script when she, for, I always run everything past her, but her connection to that script was so instant and visceral and and passionate. And then every single cut of the movie she watched, she halfway through, you know, just becomes very, very emotional. And she also helped me Think through. We tried. We tried many different versions of the beginning and the ending, and the beginning and the ending of the film are very different from what was originally scripted. And uh, she goes. She goes to every one of the screenings. I we screened it. I would say almost once a week from from about about um, three months after I wrapped. So for for about four months, every week we would screen it for somebody. You know, sometimes in previews, full previews with hundreds of people. Sometimes with a hundred friends and family and filmmaking colleagues and music people, colleagues would come too. she had a lot of friends and sometimes just a few people at our house. And every time Susanna was there and would get deeply involved in the conversations, um, you know, and it was, I don't know, it was so important to me to, to have your most, your best friend, your most intimate partner um, share an empathy for what these women were going through, and to, translate it to me, if you will, as because I don't, I haven't experienced it. It was everything. And it was really important to, to me. It was really symbolic and cool that when Teddy Shapiro was trying to come up with the music, um, Susanna had built a relationship with a woman named Petra Hayden, who, uh, has actually, done whole albums where she uses just her voice like she did she did a recreation of the who a who album you know just with her voice and she did other albums where she did movie scores with just her voice so when teddy and i were talking about this way before we even started shooting about what would the sound of this movie be given that it's a, a story about women's voices you know it's kind of a on the nose idea well let's just see how well, could we orchestrate a huge hunk of the score with just voices what would that be like and so we brought Susanna and Petra into the studio and they did those voices, you know, ha 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 ha, that stuff from the right. from the elevator, that kind of Philip Glass stuff. And he then, as I said, assigned it to Keys and kind of turned it into this somewhat robotic, but also very haunting and very emotional. And the very the very last cue is just like a, a tribal thing in the in the very last cue in the credits, this shrieking great power amazing, you know, stuff. And that, that all came out of these discussions, you know, and Sue was part of it. Sue and Petra, Petra's music was a big part of our influence, but it was Sue and Petra perform at Largo all the time now. And, um, so anyway, I just, my wife's involvement is just, it's just was huge in this, in this project. She's been, she's definitely my secret. She, you know, I thanked her at the end of the story, but I wish there was some other cre- credit for what she did. Uh, and she, you know, um, it, she was a big, big part of this. So I really appreciate you bringing her up.
0: That's amazing. Finally. Um, I just want to say, I mean, how you're feeling in general about, about, you know, the future? I mean, as you probably were too, watching Ambassador Ivanovich on the hearings and, and sort of what oh, women sure. speaking out in all sort of general aspects of politics and the Trump administration and Foxes. How are you feeling in general? Um, it's, it's
1: a mixed feeling, I think. Um, and, and I try to get at this at the end of with the end of our film. There's, there's not a there's not there, there's hope. You know, there, it's definitely a hopeful time The that that we're talking about this film, that this film got made, that, that it comes out about the time that Ronan Farrell's book and and um, and she said also comes out, you know, that that everyone is seeing, maybe it's just because we're in the middle of these conversations about our film, but it just feels like, as you just said, that there are many examples of women speaking up now that, that seem to make it safe to hope, you know, and, but they're also—it is definitely not mission accomplished, or uh, you know, um, triumphant. And we we actually had long discussions with with various people consulting on our film with the studios about you know there was a, a at one point a sort of push to somehow make our film more triumphant at the end, and Charlize especially, but you know we all got behind this said no this is this is not this is not that kind of a movie it's not. Uh, you know, a, a movie where by doing this, everything is fixed. It's a movie where by doing this, a step was taken, a really, really important step with, with brave women contributing to the downfall of this incredibly powerful, abusive person. But it's, it's, these women were still pitted against each other till the very end. You, we have that moment in our film where Gretchen Carlson looks up and sees that Megyn Kelly is going to go off and have her life, but Gretchen's still alone. Gretchen Carlson never got to work in broadcasting as an anchor again, ever. She it,
0: still can't speak. I mean,
1: she still can't speak Rudy Baktiar, who we portrayed never. She was a rising star. She was the root the, the future Christiane Amanpour. And because this guy uh, hits on her uh, six months into her three year contract she doesn't even report it. A friend reports it and she gets fired. And that's the end of her career. I mean, actually the end of her career, I'm actually going and doing, she's on a radio show now and I'm going to go and do her show today. (laughs) But, but she never got to be a broadcasting anchor again, you know? So there is some hope, but there is so much more to talk about so much more so much more ground to break, and and like you've said, to just make the institutions s- not just safer to work, but safer to talk about how it got unsafe to work. You know, and that's that. There's still a lot of work to do, um, and I, you know, I'm just rooting for people like Gretchen and, and 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 many many thousands of other women who are out there, you know, bringing all this up and speaking up. Um, so yeah, so it's a a complicated series of feelings. Um, And and again, I'm, I'm a man. It's, 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 it's much more theoretical for me, for, for, for women. It's, it's careers at stake. It's, it's, you know, it's not, there's overlap with all of the other much more violent, much more damaging things that happen to women on on an hourly basis. a minute by minute, there's somebody being horribly abused somewhere, you know, by men. And it's it's extremely disheartening to think of it that way, and you know you do want to try to to find a light uh, to move towards. And I do think that 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 is also happening. There is there is a lot of progress right now, and hopefully it ends up being uh, towards a towards a different kind of world.
0: Jay, thank you so much for your time, and and especially for the for the movie that I can't wait to tell people to go see as soon as possible and, and for giving me this this hour to talk to you about Oh, it.
1: thank you for your interest in it. Thank you so much, Christina. It really means everything to, to be able to talk about it. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much to director Jay Roach. Bombshell premieres in December. Do not miss it. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for your feedback. And if you have a second, please leave me a rating and a comment. It really helps others to find us. This show was edited by the great Julia Scott, and I'm Christina Jerling biro Thank you so much for listening.